0: and welcome to this week's Read All About It. I'm Shusi.
1: And I'm Nuri Vitachi.
0: And as usual, we have two new books and a classic. And what have you brought uh, along for us today? Well, I've got a very interesting book. Um, it's called The Confession of the Lioness by Mia Kuto. And the 2015 translation has just come out by David Brookshaw. So this is originally in Portuguese. Um, tell you a little bit about the author, actually, because he's actually a very prominent writer. He's one of the most prominent writers in Portuguese Africa. He's from Mozambique. Um, and for those of you who don't know where Mozambique is, it's the southeast coast of Africa. right? And the Tropic of Capricorn cuts through the lower third. And it's been five centuries of Portuguese rule there, and was independent in the 1970s. So anyway, um, uh, the author Mia Kuto, hes won a lot of major prizes, and he was a finalist for this year's Man Booker International. And he works as a biologist in Mozambique, which I find really fascinating. So anyway, this is a novel that investigates the line between reality and imagination. You know, on the first part is that we, we, what do we accept and believe is really happening? And the second part of the imagination is swash the horror of that reality by an escape into the solace of imagination. At least that's the way I read this
1: book. Ooh, it sounds very deep. but uh... it,
0: it sort of has that kind of deep, you know, uh, uh, re- reflection in it. Uh, but it, it's also um, a, a quite a an exciting story on the one hand, because um, it's inspired by a real incident. Because what happens, the author tells us that in 2008, he was working for a company that sent 15 young people as environmental field officers to work in the bush in northern Mozambique. And they were doing the seismic prospecting. And these lions began to attack people and several people were killed. So hunters were called in to protect the officers and kill the lions. But it, it took two months and the hunter was sort of responding to daily calls and they finally killed the lions. But the locals in the village suggested that the real cul- culprits were not really lions, but inhabitants of the invisible world. So there's kind of this spiritual backstory to it, which is what um, inspired the novel. Um, So anyway, the narrative is set up um, and told by two people in alternating chapters. And there's a very interesting epigraph to the novel. It's an African proverb. Until lions invent their own stories, hunters will always be the heroes of their hunting narratives. So it's, it's told by these two people. The first one is Maria Ma. She's a 30-something-year-old woman. Her older sister, Silencia, was one of the victims of the lions. And her story opens with this line, God was once a woman. So that kind of sets a little something there. And you, you, you get echoes of that throughout the novels of the female versus the male energy. And she's the daughter of Janito Pepe and Hanisa uh, Asula. They're, they're an educated family in this village called Kulamani. But um, her father then imprisons her at home after her sister's killed. And, and you know, she's, so she's furious at this, but she's, you know, a 30-something-year-old woman. Um, so much of the early part of her story is in an imagination and memory. So the and lion only kills females. The lion only kills females. This is what um, has been happening in the village. And so that, that's a rather important thing. So uh, at, in the first chapter, we find out that she actually knows the other narrator or has met the other narrator who's a hunter. Um, because many years ago, when she was a teenager, he was in the village hunting crocodiles. And he saves her from being raped by um, a village policeman. And part of her dream, part of her longing is to be like released from this village, from this town, this very traditional village, in order that she could go away and she wishes this hunter would take her away.
1: So that's how it opens up. Right, It's yeah. a, it does sound like an exciting story.
0: Yeah, and then the other narrator, and it alternates, it's first her and then him, and then it's, it just does this all the way through. His name is Archie Archangel, Bullseye, if you can believe it. <laughs> and he's a hunter who's selected to go to Kulamani to, you know, shoot these lions. Um, and it opens on him being really tired and needing sleep. And he says, I never thought I'd rejoice so much at being chosen, meaning chosen to be the hunter to go. I'm in dire need of sleep. That's because I want to get away from myself. I want to sleep so as not to exist. Okay, so who is this hunter? He's the son of a hunter from the mountains of Manica, Henry Bullseye, who's married. His mother is a mulatto woman. So right away we're set up in a situation where, you know, this is somebody sort of marginal, somebody who doesn't fit in either world. Um, and then the bad story is that his brother accidentally shoots the father in an accident while he's cleaning his gun and um the brother roland is now in a psychiatric hospital he's he's you know beset by guilt he's unable to speak um but here's the real kicker is that um roland is looked after by this nurse girlfriend of his called luzilla who becomes his wife but luzilla is the woman that archie is desperately in love with so he starts writing this journal, which is what we get in terms of his story, um, because he hopes that she'll read it one day and see how much he loves her.
1: <laughs> oh, lovely. I know. So we have two tortured souls, basically. Does the, uh, does, the, does the young lady escape from her father's clutches and get out into the real world?
0: She keeps trying to do that. And she does get out at one point, And she realizes, um, she's the first person that, that realizes, but she sees the lion. She actually mm. comes across. The lion. So and it she, is a real lion. It's yeah. a real lion. She realizes it's a lioness, not a lion, and she goes, "Hmm, it's, it's it's um a female lion killing all the women and why?" And you know, there's um we're in a very traditional and strict hierarchy in this village where you know the men are all in charge and the women are all seething and angry and you know, and and in a way, the lioness is sort of like the the trope for all the, the anger of the women in the village who are like you know we 're all getting killed because you guys are killing us in in real life anyway, and this is how she feels it 's almost as if um they're plotting revenge on all the men it's really it 's a very feminist novel on the one hand it feels like because it it uh, speaks to the traditional um, attitudes about what women 's place is and how women cannot even say their husband's name for example they must call them something else and the men can all strut around like peacocks but they're totally useless and all they're doing is and here's the kicker it's that really some people think that the 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 murder by the lioness may not actually have happened that it's really a cover-up for a gang rape of one of the girls who's killed
1: and so we have this sort of other subplot going on right so it's a bit of a bit of a detective story almost it's a who who murdered who? yeah, but
0: it's it's not a detective story in the usual sense it's because we we're, we're told all of this the narratives reveal things piecemeal and they're they're very uncertain narratives. you get a little bit of this this is two first person unreliable narratives right there <laughs> right. you know and it's colored by legends and traditional beliefs. you're never really quite sure what's happening because one minute you're getting the story of the lion hunt. You know, and the hunter. It's like, how is he going to go out after the lion and all that? And the next minute, you know, you everybody is transformed into animals in a kind of magic realist transformation. It's very magical
1: realist. This this novel. You're very you're very into the metafiction these days. <laughs> I,
0: I think so. I don't know this. I came across this book. Well, it had such an intriguing title, and I thought, oh, and it's in, At first, I thought you know mm-hmm. it was just an English language book, and then I realized that he was written it in Portuguese and I thought now that that's quite fascinating and you know it takes you to Africa and you know Which is I, always I, good. Yeah, yeah it's always interesting yeah. I mean a few weeks ago I brought in the book also mm. set in Africa mm. um, I think it's sort of the idea that you're taken out of your mm. world
1: and mm. yourself and that's what I so much enjoy in reading. There's something magical about Africa in literature isn't there I mean the, the grass is singing oh, yes. uh, made Doris Lessing a star the first book was set in Africa um, out of Africa, of course, of exactly, and yeah. uh, so many uh, great African-set classics.
0: There's a lot of classics and also the question of race as well and, you know, uh, apartheid. That's also mm-hmm. been a big part of the literature that's come out of mm-hmm. Africa, I think, you know.
1: We're so used in literature to thinking of uh, of ancient Africa and, uh, and you know, um, Chinua Achebe and uh, and all these classics, but this is contemporary Africa. It's very contemporary, and we're really, the language in this novel is very beautiful, very
0: fluid, but we're plunging deeply into the psychosis of the place, and that's the thing I find interesting, and it's uplifted in a way by the imaginative leap, both the collective as well as the individual, because everyone is trying to imagine a more perfect world. But there's so much wrong. And in a way, what the fiction does is allow you to, like, step out of it for a little while. So we've been talking about Confession of the Lioness by Mia Kutu. The English translation came out in 2015.
1: And this week, I've bought a book called The Algebraist by Ian M. Banks. Now this is an author which uh, who works under different names. he, he you, you look out for that middle initial because he does a little signal to his readers uh, when he doesn't use his middle initial, he 's writing high literature and he gets on those those prize shortlists. When he puts in his middle initial, uh, it's a little signal saying, okay we 're going to have fun here, and it's highly speculative fiction. So uh, this book, "The Algebraist," is by Ian M. Banks so. We know we 're going to have a bit of fun here he 's not aiming for the big prizes uh he's he's aiming for uh to have fun, but in fact it is quite a uh, a deep and uh thoughtful story. The algebraist uh is not about maths except right at the end, so i won 't spoil that for you but uh the novel takes place in uh four zero three four a d so uh it 's uh, you know four millenniums after christ, and uh, humans have spread across the galaxy. And uh, there are various wars going on. And there's a mystery because someone has stolen a wormhole. A you... wormhole? Do you know what a wormhole <laughs> is? A wormhole is a, is a tunnel that enables you to, to, to go between space and time. So basically you can go from one end of the universe to the other. But the wormhole has disappeared. So there's a problem here because, uh, A, you can't travel. But, B, to get a new one, you have to take it the old way. You have to tow it, you know, <laughs> using normal normal spacecraft going at um, at the speed of of this reality. Wormholes allow you to sort of go into a different reality and and come back out. So that's the that's the the, the basic uh, plot. Now our hero is a guy called Fasin Tark, and he's his job is he is a slow seer, seer as in s e e r as in as in as in a prophet. Uh, except it's a very it's a very technical role. Um, by this stage, uh, in the year forty thirty four, uh, the universe is kind of been divided into different races who exist at different speeds. So the races that exist at a sort of human like speed uh, are called the quick races, and then the the races that exist over millions of years and go very slowly those are the slow races. And so Fassin Tak is a slow seer because uh, he's been given the ability uh, through, through medical and technical help to slow down his metabolism <laughs> and have conversations <laughs> with these very slow creatures who last for millions of years. So he's, a, he's an in-betweeny. So he ha- he's, uh, uh, he's, he's a rather sort of quiet spiritual guy who likes gardening, but... Um, the sort of religio political wing come and take him saying, you know, we've got this problem, the wormhole's gone. Go and go and talk to the, the slow racers to see if you can find out what happened to it. So he goes off to to, to become a slow person. So we've got this very rich, very imaginative uh, setting here.
0: Yeah, I mean, the idea of race as speed is something that is quite new. It's like, you can be the flash or you can be, <laughs> you know, a slow race person.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, we often think about um, there aliens out there mm. and what's the chances i've often heard people say what's the chances of our race being alive at the same time as the alien race mm. but um uh banks has solved that problem because an alien race might live for billions of years as opposed to an earth race which tends to earth species tend to come and go uh-huh. in a hundred thousand years we're on fickle. average yeah <laughs> we're, we're, quick. we're yeah. quick so in universal time things happen slowly I was a bit uh, I was a bit nervous about getting into Ian banks because um you know his personal life he was the head of the british humanist association
0: ah, <clears> um, i haven 't yeah. heard
1: about them for a long time well the yeah. humanists are sort of i don 't know i i mean I like the idea of humanism but he was but humanists can be quite sort of shallow and anti religious mm-hmm. and uh, so I thought oh this doesn 't sound like fun but in fact uh, he 's actually very deep and spiritual um the um the anti-religious traits are, you know, he'll come across a planet where it's ruled by a cult. There's one hilarious cult he's, he's created, where um, the the sort of god figure, the, the figure who calls himself God, uh, decrees that the only thing that his followers can eat is his excrement.
0: Oh my god! So of goodness. course the followers <laughs> slowly
1: die, Uh-oh. and you think, okay, there's the humanist having yes. a go at religion. But, in fact uh, he 's really having a go at cults he 's not having of a go course, at religion because yeah. then, then when we meet the main character, the main characters are actually they 're actually quite religious uh, and one of the things you find out in in m banks 's books is that every culture, every alien race has a similar set of Elements in there to make up their their civilization, and religion is always there. So, in fact, um, despite being leader of the British humanists, he was actually quite a sort of he saw religion as a necessity, in the same way that Darwin did.
0: Yeah, so he's seeing a sort of universal
1: reality about all these different cultures that he creates in his fiction. Yes, yeah, so he says that consciousness you need to have a spiritual side because mm. to have a deep consciousness implies this spiritual. Uh, side you can't just think of solid things you've got to have this inner inner self that feels like it's in charge of the outer self that's part of of being conscious uh, anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful read. It's one of those big, fat books. It, oh, so is it a very long book? It's very, it's very long. I, I can't remember how many pages it is, but uh, probably seven, eight, hundred book uh, pages. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> you take it on a long holiday, and you get yes. into it, and you get lost in this long book.
0: I wanted to ask you about something. You said that the book sort of points at cults, or rather, the you know he's going after cults rather than religions. But of course, some people think of religion as cults. So, is there any distinction in the book? Do
1: you think? Good, good point. Uh, uh, I think the simple answer is that you know all religions start as cults, but as they evolve over centuries and millennia uh, and get millions of adherents, they they grow into. Uh, religions, but he tackles that exact question Ian Banks, in Banks in a in a in a short story classic called *The State of the Art*, and that's a really uh, it's a really thoughtful book. It's a beautiful book. It's about um the perfect rational society, the perfect Aww. atheist rational society, and one of their members goes to this weird planet called Earth. Uh-huh. He finds wacky <laughs> people who believe all sorts of wacky things, and. Um, so uh the hero of the story is somebody who goes to rescue him and saying we come from the land of rationality you want to escape from these wackos and the guy's fallen in love with wacko <laughs> spiritual humanity One does. yes and then <laughs> the you know the hero of the book she has to decide do I stay with the wackos or do I leave and uh it's very deep thoughtful work and uh, it's the last book i would ever expect to be have been written by by a humanist, hmm. I mean you expect yeah. the humanist to Pretty say, "Okay, go back to rationality, plan." Right. Yes. Yeah. But of course, it concludes the opposite.
0: Do, who do you think this book appeals to?
1: Uh, the algebraist will appeal to anybody who likes a, a good read. It's a it's a easy read. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's a, it's a holiday read in that um, there's no there's no work to be done. It's just very imaginative and fun. There's no no difficult politics. Uh, but a but a lot of great uh, imagination, especially with um, with concepts that he plays with, like the uh, uh, the people who uh, who, uh, who who live these slow lives. Um, many of them uh, inhabit gas giants. So, like yes. for example, Jupiter yes. is a gas giant. Oh, it's just see. gas. Yes. So you uh-huh. think that nothing could live there. But if you see Jupiter Jupiter over millions and billions of years, then you can imagine why. Things could live there.
0: So let me just ask you about the science of this, because it is sort of sci-fi, right? Um, There are wormholes, of course. So uh, how how scientific is this fiction? That's.
1: Well, that's a good that question. Way. I mean, there, there is a category of science fiction called hard science fiction, right. yeah. which is very, very scientific and it's written by by scientists. And this doesn't fall into that category. But it kind of escapes by setting it in the, in the year 4034 AD. Um, it's so far ahead that we can't really tell what's <laughs> going to be happening then. So so don't worry about the science. It's just, it's just for fun. So that was The Algebraist by Ian M. Banks. <laughs> And now to
0: our classic this week, which is Gulliver's Travels. But of course, its full title really is much longer. And it says, Travels into several remote nations of the world in four parts by Lemuel Gulliver, first a surgeon, and then a captain of several ships. And of course, this is by Jonathan Swift. And it came out in 1726, and then it was amended in 1735.
1: But, of course, it wasn't um, really by Jonathan Swift, because I think he was published anonymously, wasn't it, was That's originally. right, he did. You know, he was a very
0: naughty kind of
1: writer. <laughs> he was a naughty writer, and he was also a church pastor, mm, so he yeah. had to behave himself <laughs> a little bit. And he's, he doesn't behave himself at all in this in Not this at
0: all. And, of course, it is a satire. It's one of the, the probably the most famous prose satires in, uh, in history, I think. And it's never been out of print, which is an amazing thing about this book. It's still hugely popular, adapted to several film versions and also, of course, children's books because it's such a wonderful adventure story. But he was really satirizing travel narratives of the day. So travel narratives, uh, how do you mean? Well, you know, they were very popular. Everybody would write about going to exotic lands. And, of course, there was Robinson Crusoe that was out. And, you know, Swift was basically a misanthropic, grumpy observer of society, politics human nature travel writing was just
1: one more thing that he wanted to like he had a bee in his bonnet about you know I remember reading some of his uh, political sketches he would go along to parliament and he was supposed to be reporting what they said but what he actually said is what they said was this but what they meant was this <laughs> and what they should have said was this so he was a, he was a bit of a commachan but uh, i think with gulliver's travels a lot of people uh, mistake the, the term to just mean book one really which is a voyage to Lilliput, Lilliput. Where, where he's the um, giant and he finds his little people mm-hmm. that's just one of four parts that's one of four, four
0: parts and I think the only other one that people generally know is the one where he, he's he's the little person in the land of the giants the Bob you know but there were really t- two other books which were much more the heart of what Swift was after, really, where he goes to Laputa, which is one of them, and the other one is the Land of Darwinians. And this is where the original Yahoo was first, you know, articulated. Not the Yahoo as we know it today, but Yahoo as in
1: a lower species of man. (laughs) Right. I love the way he makes up these these strange names like Lilliput and Brobdingnang. And then the the name of uh, book three was... A voyage to Laputa, Balni Barbie, Lugnag, Glubdubdrib, and Japan. <laughs> and Japan. <laughs> yes. Although
0: in the book he refers to Yedo, which is, of course, the old Yedo, the old name of Tokyo, which would have been true at the time. Yeah.
1: It's a it's a wonderful read, and uh, probably most people will already know the story of the first part. From uh, I remember, my kids loved the um, the Jack Black movie of about three <laughs> four years ago, where the story is taken to 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 its all its hilarious extremes. Uh, but it's actually it's actually quite a deep and uh, allegory of of politics, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and it's it's really um, Swift is really taking the mickey out of all the politicians and about you know nonsense scientific studies. Uh, particularly in Laputa, that's where you know he he, he goes through this series of um, sees different people and what they're studying, and you know he he records it faithfully as a traveling you know, travel writer as supposed to. But it's it's really a, a complete satire of how stupid some of the scientists
1: are in in those days you know. He also mocks the church I think and being a a clergyman himself that's probably why he signed it Caliver instead of uh, signing it by his own name (laughs) Yeah but we all know that it was Jonathan Swift that's the thing you
0: know um, but my favourite one is actually the land of the Winians because the Winnians are horses, of course, and the, their their language is a kind of whinny, of course. Um, and the thing that's interesting about Gulliver is that everywhere he goes, he learns the language of the
1: place really, really easily. That's a big part of it, and so he needs to communicate with people. That's right, and in this, in this final uh, voyage... Living in this sort of land of intelligent horses are these sort of primitive, horrible creatures, which represent uh, humanity in its sort of depraved, sinful state. And they're called the Yahoos. The Yahoos, yeah. It's it's a bit odd that how that's been picked up by the internet.
0: I know, and I don't know that people necessarily always remember what the Yahoos were. It's it's not a flattering term to be called. Maybe it's because
1: it's sort of wild and misbehaving. Yeah. And the internet is wild and misbehaving. Yes, I think
0: so. And in a way. it's very appropriate. But what I always find rather amusing, I remember the first time I read um the whole Gulliver's Travel. It was actually for a graduate seminar on SWIFT. <laughs> and um you know, I got to the Winians and I'm thinking, Oh my God, you know, here's this guy. He's now lived among a much higher race of you know, really wonderful horses. And he comes back to, the you know, human land again, where everybody's kind of a more civilized version of the Yahoo, but still at heart a Yahoo. And Gulliver finds he can't live with them. He wants to go and live with horses, <laughs> 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 which I think is like, oh, good, here we've got Mr. Ed. You
1: know? yeah, let's go back to the bit that everybody knows. So he's he's this giant in Lilliput and, uh, and Lilliput, a uh, fire starts in Lilliput and he puts out the fire by peeing on it.
0: Yes. Now
1: I think, I think a lot of people think, oh Jack Black must have made up that bit for the movie. Oh no. But in fact it's right there in the original. And of course he gets in Dreadful trouble for peeing of on, the, course, on the city yes. of, of Lilliput yeah. and he gets uh, he gets convicted in despite the fact that he's he's uh, saved countless lives, and then he has to escape, doesn't he?
0: Yes, he does, and he gets away. And but of course, he he winds up back again in the same problem when he's around all the giants, you know. And here it's the opposite thing because in Lilliputland he's the kind of vulgar, large, you know. Horrifying creature, and now he's this like tiny little guy, and um, what it's it's quite um graphic and racy at parts because in the land of the giants, um, he he complains that he's brought around by a nursemaid who takes him to the women's um, quarters, and the the women are all just like stripping and bathing, and you know, just appearing in front of, and he finds
1: it really, really revolting. Right, it's uh, it's actually violent, hard hitting. Yeah. Uh, book and uh, let's remember that johnson swift also wrote the uh, a little book about the solution to the irish problem do you absolutely remember that
0: absolutely a modest proposal one of my favorites of all time yeah.
1: and his solution to the irish problem was to to eat them basically or eat the children eat
0: the children just let, let's raise children and make them plump enough to eat you know so actually while we're on the subject you should go read a modest proposal
1: as well that's an amazing book well, wonderful writer Jonathan Swift, and we're talking about Gulliver's Travels. Before that, we talked about our two more recent books, which were uh, Confession of the Lioness by Mia Kuto and The Algebraist by Ian M. Banks.
0: Well, that's all the time we have this week. So join us again next week on Read All About It.
1: Have a great week. Goodbye. <laughs>